Good morning, good afternoon, and good night, wherever you're tuning in. We are Slava and Jonathan, bringing you the SideQuest Podcast, where we talk about character development, stories, and all things that are world-building. And we occasionally take SideQuests, because, frankly, that's how conversations work. Just as a reminder, this whole show is spoiler-heavy. So, sit back, tune in, and join us on this episode of SideQuest. Back at it again. Yes, we are, Jonathan. In the Black Flame Empire, or on the outskirts of it. The desolate wilds in the world of Cradle, hanging out with Will Lyndon. Smith. Yeah. What? I said Will Smith. Will it's Smith. It's harkening back to Soul Smith and, yeah. you know. Yeah. Smith. Smith Smith. Yeah. Hanging out with Yaren and Lyndon, the Sand Vipers. Some crazy character named Ethan. Yeah. Yeah, he's uh, definitely uh, the wild card here, isn't he? Very much so. And we'll see how that pans out for our main characters. But first, what'd you learn this week? Ooh, that's a good question for this week. I actually have something interesting to share with the... You gonna outdo me? It sounds like you're about to outdo me. I might uh, outdo you. Uh, So, I learned how to properly kill bleed and gut a fish by properly i mean the, the it's a japanese method but after having read about it i'm going to just say it properly and ethically after you catch a fish how to make sure that it stays fresh by the time you get home so it's called the, no 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 you, you 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 kill it you definitely kill it on the boat but to keep it fresh I mean, you can keep it alive on the boat, but if you're going to store the fish and you have to, you know, cart it home and you have more than one, I, you know, I guess this is the way to kill, bleed, and gut it. I just catch one and then save it and then kill it when I get home. Just one. Just one? Okay. Just well, one. You, when you get home, you should still pr- practice this method. <laughs> it's called the uh, Ikijime method, and after you catch the fish... You take a special knife, it's like a spike, and you shove that spike right through the fish's brain, rendering it dead immediately. Kapow. Right away. And so the fish doesn't feel the rest of it, which is would be quite painful. Um, then you cut open the gills, like you cut the gills out as you're holding the fish upside down, and hopefully you have a hose of water, like a pr- pressurized water, not just pouring it. And you let it bleed, and then you force the water into the gills to bleed everything out. Then you take a sharp wire and insert it into the spine. And at this point, some people might get squeamish because the fish will start to tremble. But it's really, it's dead, so nothing's happening. And this step prevents the nervous system from staying active. So you kill the fish, you uh, separate its nervous system from the rest of the meat, because if the fish is stressed, which it would be if it was alive and you were cutting it, it releases like actic acids, cortisol, and adrenaline into the meat or the tissue. And that will cause, in some fishes, the tissue to go mushy. And in most fishes, it will make it taste bad. So well, yeah. if you're, yeah. if you're like really bad. So if you're ever in a fish market and it smells fishy, doesn't smell like the sea, but it smells like fishy. Those fishes have been bled poorly. Like they weren't killed, you know, before they were bled. 
And if you don't bleed it, the bacteria will set in, which will also cause your fish to taste like crap. So once you kill it with spike in the brain, cut the gills, take out the spinal cord or, you know, separate the spinal cord, you have to keep the fish in a bucket of its native water. So if it's a salt fish, it has to be the salt water. If it's fresh fish, it has to be in fresh water. And it has to be ice. Like, so native water with a bunch of ice, kill it, the spinal thingy, drain the blood, and then leave it in its native water for up to half an hour. And then you can transfer it to a cooler, just uh, on ice or whatever. And that's how you you make sure that you kill the fish and preserve the meat hmm. or the tissue, right? And you did or that hard. this week? No, I read about it. I learned about it. Oh, okay. Um, I mean, but hey, next time I read I'm fishing. This, I, read, I read things this week too. Good job. Okay, well, so you didn't, and you didn't learn anything from anything you read. This wouldn't be the first time. Sometimes I go back through information just to try to rememorize it. Like yesterday, I sent you a podcast, and it's like about in-depth marketing stuff and marketing tech stacks. And I went through it twice because my brother sent it to me, and I'm I'm looking at what my next promotion is going to be. And so I definitely learned some things about that, but I also learned stuff about net present value and and large financing and. As a on a personal level, I learned that sometimes people don't hear you correctly, and they just hear you however they think you said something, and interpret it through whatever whatever their filter is still, and they didn't uh, actually hear what you said, um, which is mildly annoying. But such is life. So uh, such is life. Yeah, I didn't gut any fish. Well, but... you could have Fisher Geisha. Speaking of fish, haha. Yeah, you could have Fisher Geisha as a as a boss. She wouldn't listen to anything to you have to say. That's true. Maybe I, maybe I do have her as a boss in other parts of my life. Yeah, but that's but, what I learned this week. That I thought it was really cool. It's interesting for sure. It came kind of out of nowhere. My wife and I were talking about. We just came from vacation and we are celebrating our anniversary, and she's like, "Hey, you want to like do some outdoorsy stuff, low key outdoorsy stuff? Maybe uh, towards the fall, go do some fishing or something." And I was like, "Yeah, that sounds like fun. Let's try that." And then I came across this blog post that sent me in a little bit of a rabbit trail. Do you need special uh, tools? Yes, three special tools. Uh, the spike, then the wire, and then you need a very, very sharp fillet knife to cut the gills. When you Fish say knife. gills, do you mean the scales as well? Is that count as the gills? No. Or just no, the, the gills, parts on the side? The, the parts on the side. Because if you open it, uh, there's like a... Um, if you open that gill, you pull it back, you'll see what looks like an oyster. That's the only way I can describe, but it's in most fishes. It's like dark, dark red, mm-hmm. like almost a dark rust color. And it has, I don't know what to call these things, you know, by their scientific name or even the common name, but it looks like a little hair comb right on that uh, right on that oyster looking thing. I know mm-hmm. I sound like a five-year-old trying to explain it, but that I just don't know the terms for these things. But yeah, you're bleeding the fish. It's so. kind of like... Uh... The kosher way to kill a cow. Or an In animal. a way, yeah. Where they, they and, you know, flip the neck upside down and have it all drain out to the one side. Right. Primarily for the same reasons. So the blood gets drained out of all the tissue, and it's killed humanely so it doesn't feel anything. So rigor mortis doesn't set in, so the adrenaline doesn't pump cortisol and, uh, what is it, adrenaline, cortisol, and acids 
lactic acids. That's what makes me taste horrible after the cow or the fish, in this specific example, is killed. Nice. Interesting. Yeah, man. I thought it was fun. Now I know how to kill and gut a fish. I mean, I can gut a fish after it's dead. That's easy. You, You open it up and you rip out the guts and you take a paper towel and pat it down. That's it. But how to? I've never killed a fish. Um, actually, no, I have. I have. I have killed a fish, but I didn't use this method. I used a rock to bash his head in. Which, <laughs> okay, Lyndon. I mean, you have to kill it somehow. Dude, and I was fourteen. I was like, how do you do this? Okay, bam, and that was it. Yeah, that that one not humane, just full lactic acid, adrenaline, and <laughs> right because it took because I was you know I was fourteen and this this fish was the size of my head. So it took two or three beatings for it to, uh, oh to die. All right, Sid from Toy Story. Hey, hey, no, I, I, I don't go around. <laughs> I don't go around catching fish and beating them with rocks. This is one time I beat a fish to death with a rock. I don't catch fish and then beat them with rocks. I instead have moved to throwing dynamite in rivers. There you go. Well, that's quite the story. Before we dive in, be sure to hit that subscribe button and make sure you join us for all the upcoming side quests. And learn more about gutting fish. Also could be good for prison. Who knows? Hey, this is, wherever you are, you can take life lessons taken from one one portion of life and incorporate them in a different uh, setting. One Estonian, <laughs> one Estonian's fishing mongrel ex- es- escapades. Uh, words are hard. Why don't you give us a summary of what we read in the last the second section of this book? Oh, what did we read? So much. So much things happened. So Lyndon is captured by the Sand Vipers. They're a bunch of bitches. They capture him while he's sleeping. Very honorable. Fisher Geisha. Yep. Fisher Geisha saves him. Lyndon strikes up an amazing, amazing plan that nobody could have foreseen, you know, collapsing. You know? Really ragging on our dog here. <laughs> yeah. To steal from the Sand Vipers. And they execute the plan. They, meaning um, Yaren and him. Get caught and sent to the mines, which is, well, which is what they deserve for trying to steal. It's such really? a bad way. What, what, really? No, you're I'm kidding. Supporting, you're no, supporting no. the sand vipers in this? No, I'm just being, I'm, I'm just being a, a jackass. I'm not. So they, they get caught. They get sent to the mines. Ethan, this uh, smiling smiling guy that walk, is walking around, uh, turns himself in. And I knew at this point, I knew that he was strong i mean there was other clues yeah there's other clues where he's lighting a pipe and like dodging just feels very morpheus or neo yes or like mr miyagi right 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 so yeah so he can see the future present present future we'll get into that a little later he rescues uh yaren and linden and pulls them deeper into the mind and starts training them air quotes um <laughs> <laughs> I like the it's part not where training? you don't consider that training. Nah, it, it, it's good. No, that they, they both of them needed it. I like one line in particular where White describes the situation, and then it's and Yaren continued to scream. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So Yaren fights with Athan while Linden is fighting uh, remnants, I guess, or dress, dread, dread beasts, and all this training happens for weeks. Apparently, Linden eventually makes it to iron after drinking copious amounts of blood yeah. and being stabbed with venom yeah. numerous times. And then 
I'm trying to think how to consolidate. Then a bunch of things happen, and Linden ends up killing one of the Sand Vipers. That's a big moment. Crawl. Right. And we end with Athan instructing Fisher Gesha to help Linden continue his training. Yes. That's... She doesn't yes. seem super thrilled with that. She's not. and uh, But she deserves it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And one thing, I'll drop it here. Maybe we can come back to it. And that's one thing I didn't like in this book. Well, it seemed to me like a trope. And we can't, I can't say anything beyond that because who knows what happens to Fisher Gesha in book 10 or if she's still around. I know but, what happens. I know you do. She gets uh, gutted like a fish. Excellent. Or... Does Lyndon stab her in the brain with a spike? It's got to be set. Before he cuts her gills. Oh, just keep going. Just Well, Lyndon stabs somebody with a spike. Well, yeah, the trope. The trope. I'm not a big fan of, hey, I'm an old, you know, salty sea dog, and I've seen some stuff, and I'm gruff around the edges, and I have some spikes because of all the you know, baggage I carry. Here comes this young, you know, whippersnapper, and I have to teach him, but I'm going to be mean to him. Roar. Like, I, was, I rolled my eyes a few times. I'll... I'll take my words back if in book three, four, and five, as we continue the series, something's revealed, which makes me wrong. But in this book, it felt to me like White was using that trope, and I was like, ah, come on. Like, if uh, if uh, Fisher Gesha is just a piece of crap, she's like a bad character or, or a bad guy, you know, so to speak, then fine. She's, she's mean to Lyndon because she's a bad person. But if this is going to turn out to some to be that... Oh, and he wins over the, you know, salty old grandma who, you know, rides around on a spider. I'm like, ugh. I don't know. I don't like that trope. Anyway, ramble over, <laughs> side quest over. What did we learn about the world in this book? That That's interesting. I read your notes, and I thought, let's just jump into that right now. Yeah, the the world is expanding for us. And this is something I did a poor job of explaining on the front end of the first episode that we had with Spencer. And I was like, oh, right, you guys haven't read books two and three or, you know, two through 11 at that point. In book two here, we learn that the world of Cradle is much larger than we originally thought. We learn that the Desolate Wilds is this podunk town within this thing called the Black Flame Empire. Ethan makes a reference to the Nine Cloud Court, which is actually something we get a glimpse of in book one during Lyndon's vision mm, with yes. Serial. So she talks about the eight-man empire, the, line, the nine-cloud court, and so on. And so, you know, we've heard about the Black Flame Empire, but Lyndon's buying clothes from this place called the nine-cloud court, and the way that they describe his clothes, and this is all just really subtle stuff that I know because I've read more books, but this is like a super big world. And the complaint that I get from people, <coughs> Slav and Spencer, in book ones of series is, is like, oh, this book is so slow. Why are we reading this book? And it's like, because it's a new world, there's new characters, and you need to understand what these people are doing. It's worth it, I promise. And every time this promise has come true, because I pick good books, not sultry romance novels about Fifty Shades of Gesha. Um, (laughs) So, um, we learn that there's different power levels above gold. Lyndon has a really nice moment in the the mines when they finally get to this inner soulsmith room where the spear is that Jai Long is looking for and he finds a box full of soulsmith badges and that's just like a really heartwarming moment there's no foreshadowing to this it's just you know kind of a happenstance artifact that he finds which is nice and 
uh, one of the other big things that we learned about the world is power rules the land everywhere, but sometimes the powerful are bored, like Ethan, who's like, you know, I'm kind of just taking a chance on him, and we'll see if he makes it. <laughs> I don't know. Yep. I don't know. But uh, one thing that's that's curious that we don't know a whole lot about is Ethan has noticed the marble that Lyndon carries. And w- one of the things that I appreciate about White's writing is he doesn't stop and explain things. He gives you a moment and then moves on. And then later in different books, he'll unravel more of those moments to give you more pieces. But he doesn't stop and go, you know, um, the Gonjabar is this thing with poison and blah, 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 blah. And like pauses, explains what the thing is, then keeps moving on. He gives the audience the strength is not the right word. He gives the audience respect enough to go, look, you'll figure it out. You're smart. You know how to read. You know, just figure out the context here. Ethan can see a bunch of stuff. He can. He's he's constantly floating around with his future present tendrils of of Madra, and he's noticed this thing in Lyndon's pocket, and just moves on. And we get to see this play back and forth between Lyndon's inner monologue and Ethan's inner monologue, and then a little bit of Yaren, and it's just fun. It's just really a good time between these, um, this newly formed group. I don't think they're quite a fellowship at this point, but... Oh, and then, this is a real small thing. We had the Sylvan River Seed, right? Like, what do you think about that? This is a side quest. I thought that was kind of sweet, whatever this thing is. I imagined it like a little dragon or something, in my mind. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, like, so it lives in this glass box and, you know, is fed Madra once in a while. And then it's happy, just hangs out and, you know, does its thing. like a. It's like a cradle a version of a Tamagotchi. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I'll take it. Yeah, 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 exactly. For now, at uh, least. Yeah. No, I thought it was cute. I, I like that little, uh, whatever you want to call it, side piece in uh, White's uh, story. It was like, ah, okay. Yeah. Nice, yeah. And the thing is, like, there's there's just so much that it's just, it, it's a really fast-paced book that these little moments get missed. Yes, they, they they get missed on the first read, uh, which is fair. I I'm I'm not upset about that because I didn't notice in the first read either. But then you get further into the book, like the Sylvan River Seed has more play as the books go on. Whatever that means, not going to tell you. But um, you're just you don't think about it. Then when you do a reread, you're like, oh, and it's two or three sentences, and then he just keeps on trucking. Right. So, but yeah. A lot of fun stuff in the world. What about you? Anything in the world that I missed that you that stuck out or the plot? For the world, no. I think you covered it well. But the plot, I have a few things that stuck out to me there. Specifically, and you kind of mentioned it, is Athan's ability to see present future. So mm-hmm. he's not like seeing the future. Oh, you know, in 10,000 years this will happen or in a month this will happen. So, right. It, but in the immediate, he sees like four seconds ahead or something or 30 seconds ahead. He can... So that's why you can dodge attacks yeah. and all that kind of good stuff. So that stood out to me is very interesting. I want to learn more. That captivated me. And the transition to Iron for Linden versus the Sand Vipers. Because the transition for him was very, very painful. It was excruciating. And he had to drink like more blood and take more venom into his you know body than the sand vipers they like take a thimble of blood and just a, a pinch of poison <laughs> you know so 
And the kid is so proud, that freaking eight-year-old. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I want to know why the difference, why Ethan did what he did. Maybe because Ethan knows more than we're being led to believe, which is fine. And then this transition for Lyndon was something special because of either Lyndon's double cores and only one, you told me one of the cores transitioned to iron. Yeah, so, only one of them. Yeah, so I was captivated by that. I thought, hey, wouldn't it be nice to have an epilogue Harkening back to our Dune conversation uh-huh, uh-huh. on what the hell Ethan's doing here. That that uh, I want to pause on that for a second for Lyndon's iron body. He, it, how do I how do I put words together? So he has this. I think this is actually one of his most transformative moments in the series. It's hmm. not the only one, but it is like a key one. It's one of the first ones, and so that's why it sticks out more so than getting to copper. Like copper, Yaren helped him get to copper, and it was like, oh, okay, fine. Like, good job, the world doesn't seem to be as cruel, you're not broken, which is, like, the beginning of a revelation, you know, because we we believe these things in our lives, we believe truths, and I use truths in quotes, but we believe things about ourselves that don't necessarily happen to be true, like, you know, they tell Lyndon that he's broken, you don't get to use Madra, like, you're, you're a failure, born under the wrong stars, whatever. And then he gets to Copper, and he's like, oh, wow, I, I, this, is, I, this is crazy. Like, the other parts of the world don't have this. But the rest of the books are a little bit of going back to, and I'm kind of making a broad stroke here, but going back to this original idea of, like, he won't ever be anything and, like, really continuing to tear down that wall in his life. And this is one of those big moments where he used to idolize Iron, and got to see his sister become an iron, and he is being invited by this stranger to take snake venom in the, in his arm and drink blood, and he just keeps shouting for more, and, and Yaren, even though she was trained similarly, where it's like, if you don't survive, I'm not training you anymore. <laughs> Sorry. But Lyndon's like, one more. And, yeah, and yeah. But it's his choice. And Ethan's like, I, I'll stop if he wants to stop, but I, I'm He's not stopping. So Lyndon's really tapping into, like, I don't have to be weak anymore. I'm going to really right. do this. Even though the living it through is is difficult. And this, this if you want to call it a trope, I like this one, where the, the, the protagonist, he has to take extreme methods in training to achieve the same strength level or the same level as his opponent, right? So here, I don't mind the training that Athan unleashes on on these two, because that that's you need that. You need when you when you go to boot camp for a military, it's not boot camp is not two years where you slowly get into it or anything like that, right? Yeah, you get thrown into the deep end of the pool. Absolutely. So, so this I liked. I was like, all right, yeah, this is good. I thought this was cool. Yeah, go fight some dread beasts. Or yep. a Linden, and continue screaming. It's all good. Yeah, I want to. I want to pause a second, and in case anybody doesn't know what a trope is, I, we haven't explained it, so I, I, I want to just give them a second to understand. A trope is a common situation in a narrative that helps structure a story. So an example of that would be, and I'm going to use something that's not part of this book, but enemies to lovers. 
And you can see that in Taming of the Shrew or uh, Pride and Prejudice, You've Got Mail, where these two lovers are against each other. And then, actually, this has just been pent-up anger and sexual aggression that I need to take out on you. And so when... A story is all this time. Yeah. That's how we met, actually. (laughs) Mine is the sexual pent-up aggression. I, I... Wow. There was aggression. There was aggression. But it definitely was not sexual. No. <laughs> I, okay. I, oh, my gosh. Um, What else did you find? Back to the plot. What else did you dislike or, or did you were you unsure of? Well, like I said in the beginning, I'm not sure why Fisher Gesha is a bitch. If she's just that old, crusty, you know, mean person that needs to be won over by her student and shown that the world is not as bad as I experienced it, and there is some good, and fine, I'll be nice to my new student. Ugh, please stop. I just don't like that trope at all. Um, But if she's just a crazy old, you know, spider woman who's just mean, I'm fine with that. That's cool. Don't worry. No one's ever nice to Lyndon. (laughs) Okay, great. (laughs) Then I take it back. It's great. Fisher Gish is fine. I'm not saying I like or dislike the character. I just thought for like a brief second as I was listening to this on my first read-through, I was like, ah, I hope it's not that. But that's it. That's all I'll say about that. I don't want to belabor well, this that is, point. This is progression fantasy, right? So yeah. Lyndon's never going to get flowers and butterflies. Lyndon gets the bridge four treatment throughout his entire journey. Oh, and I'm fine with that. that, that that's that's all good. It's just Fisher Gesha specifically. But whatever, forget her. Another thing that stuck out to me was Jai Long's sister. Because for some reason I had it in my head that she was dead. And then all of a sudden, wait a minute, no, she's not dead. And we get to the point where she's bedridden and he's telling her how Lyndon stabbed Crawl in the back of the head. Uh-huh. Oh, and all that all that stuff's going on. I'm like, wait a minute, what the hell's going on here? Is she being carted around as the Santa Vipers you know, do their thing at the pyramid? Where where was she all this time? What was she doing all this time? What's going on with their relationship? Because I get it. You know, they're siblings. He's taking care of her. Mm-hmm. But what the hell is going on with them as a, as an entity together? What is, what's their deal? So that was something that stood out to me. They're, they're estranged from their clan, which is why they're with the Sand Vipers now. Okay. Um, because, and we get this in the book a little bit, more will happen because as we see at the end of this book, the Sand Vipers and Jai Long are going to still be in the story, at least for another year of story time, where Jai Long is with his clan, and he's attacked by another rival clan, and he goes to, he, he takes care of them, but one of the remnants gets away, and then goes in to take care of his sister, who's easier prey. The, the remnant ends up devouring some of her core and madra lines, which ruins her for life. Uh, which is unfixable for these folks. They, there's there's no nothing they can do. And then part of Jai Long saving his sister was that he became disfigured because he took on the remnant of one of these um, other clans, which then made his face all disfigured and made him look like a snake, which is why he wears this covering over his face. And it makes him ugly. And this is one of the things we see, and this is one of my dislikes, is power isn't the only thing that rules the Desolate Wilds. So do appearances, and for honor culture, like, appearance is important. And so Jai Long saving his sister, which is a good thing, and you should save your family members when you're given the opportunity, even if it costs you something, 
they're like, ooh, you were our star student, but you ruined it by not taking the right remnant because we were holding out on you to get the right remnant to take one of the elders' remnants. And now you're disfigured. Still can fight like a badass. But you're disfigured, so um, we're just going to shovel you away into the corner of the Desolate Wilds where no one can no one can deal with you. And so he's got that seething rage of like, well, I'm going to get this powerful spear and then I'm going to come back and seek vengeance. But the thing that I dislike is is this honor culture of, or this part of honor culture where it's all about appearances. And it's like, no, appearances are bullshit sometimes, man. Like Most times, yeah. yeah. I agree. Well, I'm talking about dislikes. We don't really ever, and speaking about tropes that you mentioned earlier, we don't learn anything about the Fishers as a clan. No, no, we don't. You mentioned this before we started recording. It was an aha moment for me because I just don't care about the Fishers. They were just, they were there, and Gesha was a, like we said, a bitch to Linden. Yeah, she's the only one that has a real play. And then even, even Ragon, the other Fisher, it's like he doesn't do anything. Just right. Like, okay. You get maybe two scenes of them, but it's mostly Fisher Gesha. Right, right, right. But the Sand Vipers, we get a little bit more of them, and but they still seem like hmm, two, two or three steps above a trope for like bad guy squad with minimal vision and purpose for themselves. Like we want this spear. Like, like, they're okay. like the Foot Clan. Yeah, yeah, the Foot Clan. Bebop and Rocksteady, Foot Clan, Shredder. Yeah. I like it. Good reference. Good reference. Yeah. I just watched, side quest, I just watched the second Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. The from the dark, 90s? From the 90s with Vanilla Ice. I wanted to claw my eyes after the movie. Oh, my gosh. It made the first one look like, you know, a masterpiece. Which, really? Yeah, the second one is just hot garbage. And I still watched it all the way through because it was, you know, Bummer. sentimental. But it's like, what the hell is going on? The first one is silly as hell, but yeah. at least there's like a dark side to it and there's characters are redeemed, there's growth and, you know, an interesting story, as silly as it is, it's interesting. Even as an adult, you're like, oh yeah, okay, I remember why I like this. Is You know, as a big Turtles uh, fan as I was a kid. Oh yeah. And it was free on Amazon Prime or somewhere, it was free. <laughs> on one of my uh, one of my apps, and I was like, "I'll watch the second one. Why not?" And I was like, "Oh, this is this is just horrible." I paid for this back in the day. Yeah. Anyway, what about something you like, Jonathan? Since you've given us a litany of dislikes, that's true. Because I, I that that's a good question because I do really enjoy this series, so I sh- I probably should have some likes, huh? Yeah. Why not? I really enjoyed Yaren's snippets and morsels of her backstory we see these moments where she has a tightening chest and she thinks that she's going to be alone again and she lost her master and hasn't really mourned that far as we've seen she just kept fighting and kept going and she's hitting the introductory points of character development where she realizes i don't want to be alone you know i <laughs> i need more than a copper but i don't want to be alone either and so at the end, when she wakes up from a coma from six hours of rest and repair from the Fishers and is with Ethan and, and Lyndon and stuff, and she's like, oh, you accepted joining this Underlord's clan. Good for you. <laughs> and he, it's just silence. And you're like, uh... Mm-hmm. I mean, is, is, is that it? Is it... it is she done? Like, she served her purpose in the story, and we're just going to move on. And then Ethan goes, 
hello, children, jumps in like Pee Wee Herman. Um, what's that line from, from uh, Pee Wee's Playhouse? I'm a rebel, Darby. I always have been. You know what I'm talking about? I probably do if I saw it, but it's... Oh, right. Never been mind. the 90s. Um, it's been the 90s. He also just passed away. Side quest. Yes, he did. I'm yes, a he rebel. did. Dottie. I'm a rebel, Dottie. A loner. Always have been. Anyway, just thinking about Pee-wee's, Herm- Pee-wee's Playhouse now. What a time to be alive in the 90s. Dude, the 90s the are stuff, great. The stuff. It was an ass trip. It, pretty close. But yeah, we get to see Yaren. Ethan comes in and, and says, I don't want one of you. I want the set. And she she kind of lets out this breath that she was holding and clenched in. Not literally, but we see this inner monologue that she's going through. And we go, oh, she might be a badass, but she also doesn't want to be alone, which is kind of nice. Because it gives depth to the character. Right. Makes it real. Makes right. her real. And then speaking of depth with characters, and then and then actually I want to ask you about the characters and, and stuff that stood out specifically about the characters to you, because I'm kind of like covering plot points at the moment, yeah, yeah. is Lyndon being forced to survive when he... We've seen him to this point just kind of like skirt by with his ingenuity, and we'll get into this as a theme in a little bit. He's just like trying to get out, and he's just whining and complaining. Just like, help, help, help! And Ethan's like, well, I hope he survives, but if he doesn't, you can still come along. And it's just like, oh, uh, yeah. I mean, there are some times where no one's going to come and save you. One of my favorite side quests here, one of my favorite sayings and... Uh, I've talked about this guy before, is David Goggins. He's like, no one's coming to save you. So, like, what are you going to do? You're going to sit there and take it? You're going to die? You're going to you're gonna just, like, let it happen to you? Or are you going to fight? Like, and I realize that some people are like, well, I'm more of a flight person. Like, yeah, well, when you're against a wall, like, you're better off fighting because you're going you're gonna to take a hit anyway. So you might as well do something about it. The flip side of that is knowing when to fight and when to not, Right. Having the courage to do so, and not letting the f- the flight part of it be your only response. If you're always fighting, that also doesn't solve everything, right? No, 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 no. You know, as a uh, philosopher, Kenny Kenny Loggins. No, not Kenny Loggins. Kenny Rogers. Kenny Loggins. Kenny Rogers. You have to know when to hold him. You know, have to know when to fold him. Yep. That's a that's a reference kids, for you boomers who are listening to this. Yeah, I was gonna say the kids don't know that reference. No, they don't. But anyway, I'm in total agreement with you. Uh, and you can't just sit around and just go, well, you know, I guess this is it. Or more specific to the, the, the Linden here as a character, you can't always skirt by and try to avoid situations and just make it on being a sneaky little uh, a sneaky little weakling. Sometimes you have to grab a grab a spider claw and shove it into a guy's neck. Yeah. And and I I'm not going to dive into into this just yet, but sometimes ingenuity has a wall. As someone who's pretty ingenuitive myself, but before we get there in the themes, what what did you learn about some of these characters? I like Lyndon's growth, even though it's very incremental. I liked it. It's hard to put into words because it's I can be like, hey, uh, in this chapter, X happened, and wow, Lyndon has grown immensely. I think what drives his ingenuity, the little skirting around and trying to survive somewhere in the background. Part of that is now driving his desire and his efforts to become better. You, you see that he's being more assertive when he speaks. 
even to Fisher Gesha. And he, a couple times he takes it back and even jokes with her and she gets all salty about it for no reason. You see these little moments of growth. And to your point, White just kind of drops them in here and there. So that was the major thing for me was Lyndon following him through. What stood out to you? I know you said that Athon was a wild card. I want to know what you think about him before I ask any of my questions. Thankfully, we will get more of Athan as the story progresses. And I told this to Spencer before he was reading reading the books. Well, no, I think he was I think he was actually end of book two. I think he was about here when I told him I was like, look, I'm gonna ruin something for you because I think he was mid book two. And it's about Athan. But he says this in book two, and I forgot about this because I hadn't read it in a while, is he said, I was looking for people to go with me on the path. And then Yaren's response is, Master always told me the path isn't wide enough for two. And he said, I want people to go with me to the end of the sacred arts. And it just, he just lets it hang. And you're like, what does that mean? Like, sounds really cool, but like, because mm-hmm. he, he's already powerful. And so, like, how close to the end is he? Is is he close to the end? Is he in the middle? Is he, you know, w- when we know more about the world, is he actually just, like, the equivalent of a copper in the real world? What is it, you know? And- right, because we learn, we learn a few things, that there's levels above gold, and then there's even levels to gold. Yes, low gold, high gold, and true gold. Yeah. Which is kind of nice, because, and, and let's side quest a second about this. You don't have to be a rocket scientist, and you understood the ways that the levels work. Copper, iron, jade, low gold, high gold, true gold, underlord, and then there's additional ones, and I won't get into that right now, but it's not hard to understand. He made the system very simple, but also seems cool and and fun and, you know, like, oh, man, he's a... He's high gold. He's a true gold. And then this idea of gold signs, too. Like, we've seen Yaren have a gold sign her whole time with this sword sticking out of her back. Which, the first time I read this, was hard to hard to catch. I was like, gold sign? Like, there's low golds and true golds and high golds and, like, what's a gold sign? And it took me my second read-through to understand, like, oh, the Sand Vipers with their Vipers, that's their gold sign. Yaren's gold sign is this sword sticking out of her back. Basically, when you become gold, you get this thing, this, this, yeah, this thing that happens to you. Jai Long's gold sign is his face turned into venom or uh, uh, a snake. And so it's like when you take on a remnant, your body transforms in some ways to, and which is why Jai Long's clan was particular on like, well, we don't want you to take on any remnant. We want you to take on the specific remnant of one of the elders who hasn't died yet and you know situation happened and so he couldn't and but you become you're, you get a gold sign based on the remnant you take on so that was interesting anyway that's not about Ethan at all but we find out that Ethan is an underlord which is somehow above a gold and he's not just an underlord he's an underlord for the black flame empire and you know kind of it's it's like you kind of saw it coming but you didn't see it coming where it's like oh he's the Aurelius family like he's the people that they were scared of coming. He's been there the whole time. Like he doesn't he doesn't stick around with the fanfare and wait for the big group to go. He's out here just dawdling around, being future present, zipping around, smoking a bowl, you know, between a <laughs> right. uh, uh, sparring match. 
and you're just like, who, who's this kooky dude? Just what is going on? He feels like a martial arts version of Hoyd from Stormlight Archives. Ah, that's a nice, nice reference. Yeah, yeah, he does. Just as like a point of reference, which is just, which is just kind of fun. So, uh, one last question here about the characters. What do you think about Jai Long and this one-year duel? It reminded me a little bit of, oh, shoot, you haven't read it yet. All right, I got to be quiet uh, in Stormlight Archives. Never mind. Oh, the, when that one thing happened, yeah. No, 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 this hasn't happened yet. You, you, this is a book, something, something, and it hasn't happened yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's kind of cool. I am waiting for them to pummel London. <laughs> What do you think so, is going to happen between now and then? Like, estimations on book three, and then we'll get into the themes of Soulsmith. Okay. I think Lyndon's probably going to go up a level. Okay. I mean, yeah, it's progression fantasy. Give me something a little more. Like, come on. <laughs> Lyndon's going to go up a level, and Fisher Guys is going to marry him, and she's going to turn out to be a princess and not a wicked witch, and they're going to go hunting whales on the seven seas. I would read that book. Oh, my gosh. Is it called Fifty Shades of Fisher? <laughs> You're why we can't uh, have nice things. I try. Um, well, obviously, yeah. Well, let, let me finish my thought, right? So he's going to go up a level, at least, in my estimation. And I imagine he will fight Jai Long. There's three possibilities in my head. He fights Jai Long and wins or loses, but doesn't die. He doesn't fight Jai Long because, you know, they become best of friends or some nonsense like that. Or he escapes fighting Jai Long because Jai Long, somebody else stabs him in the back of the head. Friends to lovers trope. Let's go. Yep. I'd read that book, too. You're what's wrong with Estonia today. Yes. (laughs) Maybe they can be a triple. Fisher Gesha, Jai Long, and Lyndon. It's no? not a truple, it's thruple. It's a it's a TH sound. Oh, thru- oh. I've gone on weird I don't, No. No. I am not good at sharing my humans. I just like to gut them. Wait, you, you own humans? And that's all for side quest today, folks. <laughs> I um I've got to pack a bag and go to Panama. Uh, <laughs> anyway, no, I don't own humans. Let's get into the themes here. Let's I'm done with your nonsense. I'm not though because this is our podcast, but uh, you know, the not hey, we could rename it the nonsense. You podcast. know, it'd be funny sometime if uh, if we had Matt come on with Spencer and we gave them two different books to read, and they <laughs> <laughs> were like, "Hey, could you just like fill in? We're both going to be gone this week. Can you guys just like make an episode for us?" Yeah. And it's just a nonsense episode. I'd read that book too. It's not a book. Okay, all right. Tell me about the themes. What themes did you catch in the in the? Well, I think fate is a cruel mistress. I'm going to use your your exact wording. I can't uh, wait. Just uh, I, I I realize I handed it off to you, and now I'm going to interrupt you. Interrupting cow, strawberry mythology series. We we briefly discussed this before, but we're looking at diving into shorter, not even short stories, but they're they're mythos, right? They're they're these little parables. They're not parables. What what do you call them? They're just like. Stories of mythology and, and diving into those is like a second episode we'd, we'd drop every week or something. So it's not set in stone, but like I, I very much love mythology. Sorry, please continue. 
that's a perfect segue into fate is a cruel mistress. It's not. That's the that's the joke. Wow. Strawberry. Just out here, just out here fishing. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> goodness. So fate is a cruel mistress. I thought that was a a good way of marking this theme. So Lyndon didn't get to choose his starting point. Neither did Yaren. Neither any of us, right? Life just handed them obstacles that they needed to overcome. The family you're born into, the stuff that happens to you. Yep. Right. All the, all the things. You need some discipline. More, you know, courage too, I guess. I don't guess. But yeah, courage too. And discipline to overcome it. And not sitting around licking your own wounds. Um, I mean, that's okay for about five seconds. And then, okay, enough with the self-pity. You Things are bad. You are sad. If it's something like a loss of a loved one, they're sure. Don't just walk it off. You have to you know, go through the process of mourning it. But if 20 years into it, everything that's happened into, to you, whatever that is. You don't know what he did to me. You don't know what they did. You don't know. Yeah, it's like, yeah, cool, that. but you're 45 now, and that happened to you when you were 12. So, like, yeah, come on. Yeah, right. I thought that's kind of cool because that ties in to what I said about Lyndon growing incrementally. And you said that there's like a little bit of, a, I don't know if it's necessarily growth, but it's a peak into Yaren's life. Maybe there that is some sort of growth for her too and how she interacts with Lyndon and how she views Lyndon and how she views friendships and the need for people. Yeah, so on the on the concept of having to overcome things. I said this earlier, but I really believe that this book is one of Lyndon's key points because he continues to unravel this belief of like, I'm broken, not worthy. I'm, you know, a mistake, whatever of this belief that he got from sacred Valley from his childhood. And we all have these things that, you know, unless identified, you'll continue to run into these cycles in your life. If you just sit down and journal for an hour, you'll start to see like, oh, this this thing keeps happening in my life. Like, yeah, yeah, probably because you need to deal with it. But um, each book, even though he becomes more powerful, he still has this core self that he has to and his core beliefs. And we've talked about belief systems a handful of times in a bunch of the different episodes that he has to unpack and unravel. But because he has this belief system, he's had to become ingenuitive. We saw this in book one where he buried the remnants in the stadium before his fight. We saw this, you know, where he gets his one punch on this like older guy because he learned his one technique. And then he's like, all right, I give up. Goodbye. <laughs> like he, right. he's had to be ingenuitive to get by. And I resonate with that a lot because in most of my life, I've got, you know, hindering belief systems as well. You know, we might have a podcast, but I've still got normal shit to deal with like everybody else. And I've had to be really ingenuitive in life where it's like, okay, Life has handed me a bunch of terrible cards in a variety of ways with the birth defect and stuff. And, and you know, when I was growing up and, and learning things, I didn't. I was told that I couldn't read well and not specifically learning disabilities, but that's how I got treated a little bit from the teachers. Even to the point that they told one of my, there's been a few of them. At one point, and I don't mean this as a joke, but I laugh about it now, The we did these like statewide tests and they called my parents into the office after we did our first statewide test and they're like, we have some troubling news. And they're like, okay, what is it? And they're like, Jonathan's retarded. <laughs> and they were serious. They were completely serious. And they're like, what the hell are you talking about? This is our son. Like, we're not even being defensive. We're just like, what the hell are you talking about? And they're like, well, his test score came back and it says that he's retarded. 
and this is the 90s, so so you could use this word, so I apologize if this is offensive to anybody, but, and they, like, call me into the office, because, you know, you have to sit outside, whatever, and they're like, hey, what'd you do with this test? And I was like, I got bored, so I made pictures, and it's like one of the bubble tests, right? Like, you have four or five things you can fill in, so I'm, like, making pictures, and they're just like, yeah, he's not retarded. He's bored. He's a jackass. He's just bored, and they're like... Okay, well, he has to take it again. And I'm just like, I don't want to take it again. I got bored taking this test. Your test is dumb. So, but they legitimately thought that I was retarded and didn't know how to fill out this thing. That was the first one. The other one is they told my parents, like, he doesn't have to read the books because he's a slow reader and he's not good at reading. So he can just read the cliff notes or he can read the back, you know, the back of the book or whatever. And so, like, when you're a kid, that's great because you don't have to do a whole lot of work. And so you become really ingenuitive. But then, or sorry, you 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 have a lot of work to do. When you're an adult, wow, I'm fumbling this. My own life story. This is just a normal. Clearly, you're retarded. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. It's it's nice when you're a kid because there's less work to do. But then when you hit high school and they're like, cool, we're reading Shakespeare and we're reading Plato and we're reading, you know, the, the first Greek translation of Icarus. And, you know, you're just like, oh, man. And now you have more work to do. So you have to get ingenuitive. On like, I have a certain amount of time to do this. I don't have the skills to do this because I was given the easy way out as a kid because they're like, well, this kid's stupid, so he doesn't have to do this. And it's like, no, 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 no. You just have to figure out how to teach kids. That's really what it boils down to. Anyway, ingenuity as a theme here, seeing it in Lyndon's life. And this is, I'm sure that you can put this together now, but like, this is one of the reasons that I like Lyndon too, is when you're dealt with, when you're dealt really terrible cards and you have to find out how to continue moving on in life, ingenuity is one of those ways that I've done that and so seeing his perceivably tricksy ways of doing things but he's just doing it because he can't actually face the problem head-on the way that other people would because he's not he doesn't have the same level of skills right so ingenuity is good but there comes a point and I and I realize this is very long-winded there comes a point where ingenuity hits a wall and I mentioned this earlier where when Lyndon is shoved into the room with the dread beasts there's nothing ingenuitive about that. You have to survive or you're going to die. That's it. He didn't have his backpack full of stuff. He didn't have anything. He's like, you have to figure out how to kill this thing to survive. And sometimes ingenuity's wall that it hits means that you just have to do a level of hard work that you don't believe that you can do. And who else said this? Uh, uh, a modern uh, psychology professor said, sometimes your best isn't good enough. So like in, in Lyndon's mind, his best is I need someone to help me. I need my backpack, I need whatever. It's like, no, your best isn't good enough. You have to do better than your best. And that's the only way that you grow. And Ethan understood that. He's like, you have to find a time when you have to survive and no one's here to help you. And we're not going to help you. And he's whining and complaining and you know, asking Yaren to open the door like, Ethan, help! And they're like, sorry. But this is how you train children, right? This is... This is yeah. This is, kids are going to whine and complain, I want this thing. And it's like, no, you're going to deal with the the, the disappointment and suffering. And you're going to understand, like, this is not how you, you don't just get to demand help and you get help. You have to grow. And it's hard. And we all understand it, but we all had to do it. So I I really liked Lyndon's training sessions because it was a moment where he has to really face his own belief system to address, is he going to choose to grow? Does he really want to grow? Right, like he says he wants to grow, he says he wants to power up and level up, but he's never had to do that yet. Not really, because he hasn't been in the real world. And so Ethan's like, 
I think I want you as a student, but I need to see what you do in, in the hardest of times. Like, what, what, how are you going to respond? He even apologizes to Yaren, and I think that this one probably didn't piss you off too much, where he's like, I'm so, the, the door opens, and he says, I'm sorry you had to hear the cowardice and whimpering that I went through. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Ethan comes back. He's like, hey, here's your bag. Shoves him back in and then closes the door again. <laughs> right. I, know. I loved it. <laughs> and Yaren continued to scream. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was when she got... Uh, well, well. so there's there's two... There's actually two screaming moments in the book. One of them is with Yaren when she gets bit by... When they're getting thrown into the into the... The mine, just before they get locked up in the mines. And, and those weird, like, neck braces or whatever. And then... Another one is when Lyndon's screaming when he's getting bit by these things um, and he's getting his iron body or whatever. Yeah. But uh, one more theme that we saw was order and balance. And I want to throw this one to you and and see what your thoughts are on it <clears throat> as we are winding down here. Because I think that oftentimes we hear today that like, oh, we got to live a balanced life. It's like, the hell does that no. mean? What, yeah, what, exactly. what does that mean? No one has defined this. So... Yeah, I'm gonna pause there because I've I've gone on my couple rants. So, like, tell me about order and balance in the story, in your life. Yeah, balance is nice, but rarely does it happen because life is not balanced. Sorry, uh, order is good, and living an ordered life as much as you can, given your circumstance, that's a good thing. And I think we should strive for that. The Stoics, I don't agree with everything the Stoics said, but I think the Stoics pummel this almost on every other page about having an ordered, disciplined life. I think that's great. And tell us about the Stoics. That's all that I want. I just, we, we talk about things sometimes and we need to define them for the audience because not everyone has read all the books that we've read. And so I just want to um, ask you, like, as the audience, Slava, what are, what are Stoics... What is, what is a Stoic? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the Stoics are philosophers from the Hellenistic period, and I'm not going to explain that. You can look it up, audience. We'll put some effort into it, too. <laughs> <laughs> Shove them into there. Yeah. Deal like, with your go, dread beasts yourself. Like, yeah, it's called, you know, Google. Or a book library, even better. So, yeah, no, the Stoics are, I think there's four major, major thoughts or four major philosophers from the Hellenistic period. One of them is um, Marcus Aurelius. And so they believed that the practice of, like, virtue, well-lived life, a flourishing life, an ordered life, a disciplined life, that's how one achieves order. I know that sounds kind of, <laughs> that's a little awkward way. No, it's true. You're ordering your life. You're, you're, you're putting order to your life. Yeah. So you achieve success, you know, for lack of a better term, by living an ordered life. Flur, uh, an ordered, disciplined life, let's put it this way, that's how you achieve success. That's how somebody can look back and say, you know, they lived a life well-lived because they did these five things in their life, and they achieved these three things, and they believed in this philosophy, and therefore they made the world around them better by doing these X amount of things. So... That's Stoics in a, in a minute and 35 seconds. <laughs> now, what was my point? Order and balance. Order and balance, yeah. So balance, I think, is great when it happens, but it's almost unattainable because 
there's no such thing in life as continuous balance. It might happen here and there, but there's always going to be people that are stronger than you. Uh, there's always going to be people that are richer than you, people who have it worse, who have it better. The, a job might have a, a great salary, but horrible people to work with, right? Or you might have you might have great people to work with, but it's a dead-end job. And, and that, those are very simple uh, examples. In the story, it comes out in Lyndon's life, right? He doesn't live a balanced life. Things are chaotic, but he has Yaren, and now he has Aethon, and he's advanced to Iron. Uh, I don't think you can have balance when you grow. Like, there is no balance in growth. There's literally just pushing yourself. But that is that pushing yourself is discarding balance for order. You're ordering your life by getting it in line. You're giving yourself discipline. You're overcoming your circumstances, and you're... Um, shoving off balance at one point i think you know and if you want to talk about this instead you can i think balance is the wrong thing to strive for because it means that you'll have a boring normal life that is full of debt and whatever other things that normal people do but what you really want is a life of rhythm because it doesn't mean you don't take vacations though i don't it means that you know when to run and choose growth and choose to like put work into becoming ordered and you know when to have a cool down period and take a walk after your run and you know go on a vacation and spend time with your wife for your anniversary it's not about balance it's about rhythm i think right rhythm is uh, the byproduct of order you know macro to micro mundane to vital and critical things in your life and i know it sounds very heady and you know philosophical almost like we're talking about this metaphysical transcendental thing and maybe we kind of are, but in the, the day, it's very simple stuff. The Stoics thought this could be applied. This is where I agree with them. This could be applied to walking through a field, or going to the bathroom, or exercising, or anything. Just applying discipline to daily tasks, like I said, from the mundane to the more more vital tasks in your life. But if we're gonna tie it back to the book. Let's talk about, you know, Lyndon's life. He he didn't really have good balance, right? He's born unsold. He has a family to contend with. They're kind of d-bags. He has a clan to contend. His sister's with. okay, but his his dad is a total dingus, right? And then the clan he has to contend with is just you know, douche nozzle central. But Athan seems to see more in Lyndon. Even the chaos in his life, and like I guess the heavy weight that Lyndon carries uh, with him, like you said just a while ago about his lot in life, and Ethan sees that this guy is just you know kind of skirting all the issues for like a better term, mm-hmm. and his ingenuity is really not the best for Lyndon because if he continues this way, he will always be a little weakling trying to skirt by, somehow hide in the shadows. So Ethan wants to order Lyndon's life. One of the ways he does that is through this uh, training by throwing him into the room. What, what do you think about that? I like, I like the used ordered because one of the things that mythology teaches us, if you look at the themes that they talk about, is there's this goddess Tiamat, and she's the, the goddess of chaos, and... Chaos is represented with water usually, 
and dragons, but then when things become ordered, they're set right, and chaos is dismantled, and it's this tension between chaos and order where chaos is untapped potential, and so when you say Linden is is being ordered, I think about that, where Ethan sees this untapped potential in Linden and says, I can work with that, especially because he's very peculiar. He's got this marble. He's got two cores. He seems to have drive, but I'm going to push him a little bit. I, I, let's see what he's really got. And Ethan starts to help form him, and he even uses some of these words, like clay, toward becoming a better sacred artist. And we, we learned from... Um, a conversation that Yaren and, and Ethan have is Ethan doesn't want to be alone. He wants to go to the end of the sacred arts and he needs people to to go with him. This is one of those little moments because Ethan is very much like Hoyd in his outworkings. Uh, Ethan has so many good lines. It's really wonderful. And we get to see more of that. But he does have a good heart. He does want the best for these two kids. But his selfish endeavor is like he doesn't want to be alone because there's no balance in being alone. There's no, it's just chaos. You're just like trying to tackle it all yourself and it, it, it becomes lonely. It becomes, yeah, I don't know. I don't know another word besides lonely, but um, yeah, I, I believe the order and balance are things that we see here where the honor culture says, well, you got to be balanced. You know, you need to look a certain way. You have to perform a certain whatever. And it's like, mm, no, you need to understand the rhythms of life. Anyway, little choppy on there but uh those are those are my final thoughts as we close out here yeah good final thoughts good final thoughts so landing this plane here thank you guys for joining us on sidequest do us a big favor please follow and subscribe and tell us what you like or dislike make sure to review us and what do you got for them Gonthan, you want to ask them a question so they can interact with us uh do you have a favorite mythology story do you like mythology do you enjoy the themes that you see in mythology because we're having spencer on on the next episode but i'm doing this project for my mba right now and started talking to the guy about nerd books like these and uh he's never read cradle but he's read the lies of Locke Lamora. he's read a bunch of stuff in the 60s that i sent you stuff from he's like i like finding books that are no longer in print that kind of paved the way for for sci-fi and fantasy and i was like oh shoot like Give me some suggestions because that sounds kind of fun. He's like, the books that you have to go to like a used bookstore to find the one copy that was printed in 1968 type of books. And I was like, oh, interesting. So I I, uh, I invited him on the podcast. I don't know if he's going to take us up on it to walk through some sort of book that he loves that he doesn't get to talk about with people. But just a reminder, we are a young podcast who will read one of your favorite books within reason. I don't want to read Fifty Shades of Grey. It doesn't doesn't do anything for me to discuss on here so if you've got something post it in the uh in the comments anyway thanks for joining us like slava said and uh we look forward to catching you on the next side quest